Lord, we just come before you, and we just thank you for those that are here, and pray for any that are not here at this moment, or that might be on their way, and we ask you to guide and lead us as we open your word, and we just thank you in your son's name, amen. Amen. All right, Numbers 29, we're going to continue the, the list of the five major feasts that is listed here. We covered the Passover and Pentecost, and we saw the, the ten animals that had to be burnt, uh, sacrificed on those days. We talked about the morning and evening oblation offerings, and uh, we talked about their meat offerings. We talked about the new moon offerings. Every every new moon that they had to, to give an offering for. And we're going to continue on this list of offerings here and kind of look at some interesting changes here for the fall uh, feasts. There's one. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day for blowing of trumpets unto you. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, one young bullock, one ram, eleven lambs of the first year without blemish, and their meat offering shall be a fine flour mingled with three-tenth deals of, for a bullock, and two-tenth two -tenth deals for a ram, and one-tenth deal for, for the lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats for the offering to make an atonement for you. Beside the burnt offering of the month and his meat offering and the daily meat burnt offerings and his meat offering and their drink offerings according unto the manner for a sweet savor and a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So in the seventh month of the first day you have the Feast of the Trumpets. Feast of the Trumpets is a feast of the coming king. Uh, most Christians believe that the Feast of the Trumpets will represent the time when Jesus comes and raptures the church, calls for his church to come home. So we have this feast, and it is a feast that has been established since, since Exodus and was talked about in Leviticus. And we're talking about it again now with the extra offerings that, you, that have been here. But the thing I want to note that is in 28, or in the spring offerings, you had two young bullocks, one ram, and seven lambs, and the and the kids. So the total of 11 animals were being offered. Here we have one bullock, one ram, seven sheep, and the kid. So we're down to 10 animals instead of 11. And I'm believing this is because Jesus completed the spring offerings in his first coming, and we went over that. He died on Passover. He was buried during during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he resurrected on first fruits, and 50 days later, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. So the, the four spring feasts have all been fulfilled, and we're now in the, the fall feast, so there's one less sacrifice being made because it is already, he, Jesus has already been fulfilled in, in that offering. So here we are with the, the, the trumpets, and for the Jews, it's a, it's a good holiday for them. It's a, it's a feast day. It's going to be one that they enjoy. And again, we see the offerings that they have, the, the burnt offerings. And we know that there's an offering made by fire for them. And this is a day of celebration. And they, this is one of the holidays that they were to come together in, as, a, as a country and, and worship God. And then they also have the one kid of the goats for a sin offering to make an atonement. 
And you know, I wonder who supplied all of these. It was probably the elders. You know, this was quite a quite a sacrifice. So we we've seen a reduction in the animals sacrificed for the trumpet offering. And again, trumpet trumpets is a holiday that is that is a we consider as the Christians we expect that it represents the rapture of the church. So we might, we'll see what happens each year around this time and see if we get a rapture coming anytime soon. Took care of the show bread and made sure that the altar of incense were, were continually being burnt. But on this one day, the Day of Atonement, they actually go into the holy place. That list of sacrifice, or ten, 10 with the, this, this, the goat. Sin offerings that day, the one that goes for everybody into the temple, and then this other one that was just the, the sin offering. And during the day of Yom Kippur, they also had two goats that they did. One they killed, one they symbolically put their hand on the goat and, and prayed over the goat, you know, and basically passed their sins to the goat. It would be led out and let loose into the, in the wilderness to, to wander around. Two, one to be released and one to be killed. And then here in Numbers, we're being added another one that's going to be killed. Pretty bloody celebration. It, you know, we've got 10 to, 10 to or more animals every, every time they meet together to be killed. And two every morning and, and another, another two on the, on the new moons and the Sabbath has another set of two. So there's a lot of animals being killed for this. And so it's a day of confession of sin. Uh, and again, this, as far as most Christians think, believe, is that it is the return of Christ to set up his millennial kingdom will be this, the fulfillment of this uh, particular feast. Now we get into one feast that is a really significant feast. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work, and you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord, 13 young bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year. They shall be without blemish, and their meat offering shall be a fire, a flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals for every bullock and three of the 13 bullocks, two-tenth deals for each ram of the two rams, and several-tenth deal of for each lamb of the 14 lambs, and one kid of the goats for the sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. All right, so here we have 29 animals, plus the two for the morning and evening, animals being sacrificed. So this is a big holiday, but this holiday is also it's commemorating the time in the wilderness and the future. It is commemorative of the millennial kingdom. And we see here, this is a day of feasting. They get together uh, on the tabernacle. The, the people will come together. They will build booths to live in. If you're in anywhere near a real Jewish uh, area, you'll see even today the Jewish will set up, the Jews will set up tents and and booze all over their all over their yards and backyards and front sidewalks wherever they can set up a, a booth or a tent they'll they'll celebrate and it's a day of well it's a week of celebration and they'll send each other gifts and 
feast and all of these things that go on and they're celebrating their time in the wilderness and they're reminding themselves of their disobedience for 40 years before the, before the promised land. And this was a major sacrifice. On the first day, they're offering the 29 animals on this sacrifice. And this is an expensive one, 13 young bullocks, bulls, two rams and, and 14 uh, lambs beyond that. So we're talking about a major celebration and this is only the first day of the celebration. 29 animals were going to be killed on the first day plus the two for morning and evening oblation offering. And so, and all the flour and the, and the oil and the water that's being poured out for the, for the sacrifice. This is a major issue. When they get into Jerusalem in their days, the priest would make a big deal of going down to the Pool of Siloam, getting the water, going back up to the, temp, to the temple and pouring out the water and the, and the drink offering and the killing of these animals. And Jesus celebrated this feast when it talked about him going up for a week-long celebration. So this is a big feast for them. A lot of people. This is one of the feasts where everybody, all the males in Israel were to come to the temple. Okay, Passover, Pentecost, and this one were the ones that, the ones that they all had, and the Day of Atonement, were the ones where all the males had to show up. And usually when they came from Passover, they'd just spend the next you know, uh, 50 days there because it didn't make much sense for them to take the, the week to two weeks to go back and then come back down again. So they would just stay. And so Jerusalem was a busy place a couple times a year. And oftentimes, even though the males were the only ones that were required to be there, feed him, and then when it's time for him to be given to the Lord, I'll take him and, and give him to the Lord. And so we see these feasts all through Scripture, that these are the major feasts that are, that are going to happen. And we're going to see that by the time the Feast of T Tabernacles is done, 182 animals will be killed in the one week's time. That's a lot of blood being, being in. The significance that most people make out of this is 182 is a number that's divisible by seven. It's in the seventh month. It covers seven days and the animals are divisible by seven. So they make a big deal out of that because seven is the number of perfection or completion. So they're, they're saying that this, and this is, when we get to the end, it is the symbol of the millennial kingdom, which is the perfect reign of Jesus for, for that period of time. So, and then in verse 17, on the second day you shall offer 12 young bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without spot, and their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks and for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after their number, and one, and one kid of the goats for the sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and the meat offering thereof, and their drink offerings. So here we go, this next, this next day that they offer, and one kid of the goats for the sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering and the meat offering, and his drink offering. So we're down to 26 animals, not counting the morning and, morning and evening and the sin offering. 
On the fifth day, nine bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without spot, and their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks and for the rams and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner, and one goat for the sin offering beside the continual burnt offering and his meat offering and his drink offering. Okay, so we're continuing here with this same pattern. One less bullock each day for seven days. And on the sixth day, eight bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year without blemish, and their meat offering, their drink offerings of the bullocks, for the rams and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner, and one goat for the sin offering besides a continual burnt offering, his meat offering and his drink offering. On the seventh day, seven bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish, and their meat offering for their drink offering, and the bullocks and the rams, and the lambs according to their number and after their manner, and one goat for the sin offering besides a continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink. So we have seven days here where we've been killing off 182 animals. And on the eighth day shall, you shall have a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord, one bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year with, without blemish, their meat offering, their drink offerings, and the bullock for, for the ram and for the lamb shall be made according to their number after the manner, and one goat for the sin offering beside the continual burnt offering of his meat offering and his drink offering. These things you shall do unto the Lord in your set feast beside your vows and your freewill offerings and your burnt offerings and your meat offerings and your drink offerings for your peace offerings. And Moses told the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded. So by the time you get to the eighth day, you're back to your regular times. And we look at this. When it says that you shall do no servile work, it's a fancy way of saying it is a Sabbath day, okay? And they would be, on these feast Sabbath days, they were considered high Sabbath days. The Passover was a Sabbath day. You did no work. You, you treated it as a day off, and you, you celebrated God. You went through the unleavened bread. You went through the first fruit, which, is, which was first Sabbath after Passover. And then you had your, your 50 days later, you had Pentecost which was considered a holy Sabbath as well because first fruits was always on a Sunday and therefore 50 days later you would have Pentecost. These other holidays are whatever day of the week they fall on and they are Sabbath. Yom Kippur is a Sabbath day. Trumpets is a Sabbath day. Uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles has a Sabbath day at the beginning, a Sabbath day at the end, and somewhere in that seven-day period would be your normal Sabbath day. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to have three Sabbath days in one seven-day period. Okay? This is something we have to understand. The Jews, for them, Sabbath day wasn't just and only Saturday. Okay, every Saturday was Sabbath, okay? It didn't matter when these and these holidays fell, but the rest of them, if they fell, whenever they fell, that day was a Sabbath day of rest. They were considered high days, high Sabbaths, and they were extra, so you could end up, you know, if, you're, if, it, if that uh, holy day fell on a Friday or a Sunday, you could have two Sabbaths in a row which would make it really difficult for your cooking and feeding of yourself because you 
couldn't start a fire during that whole that whole period of time. You couldn't, you know, so you would have trouble getting yourselves fed. Uh, so those really, it might sound exciting to us to have two days in a row, but for them, it really wasn't that exciting because you had no time to, you know, it was hard to, in that day and age, to have two days worth of food. I think I just they did not have refrigeration. They did not have a stove that jerky, you know, you cooked it up and dried it out and, and uh, salted it down real good so that it would be able to stay for two days. And so we see this process. And this particular section is one of the reasons why I do not believe Jesus died on a Friday because the Catholic Church, not knowing the Old Testament, said that he died the day before Sabbath, so therefore he had to die on a Friday. Well, it is not true. He died the day before Passover, and Passover was a Sabbath no matter what day of the week it fell on. We see we can have both being true. He died on the the day before the Sabbath because it was a Passover, which was a Sabbath, no matter when it fell. So we have this. All right, we're going to go ahead and do chapter 30. And Moses spoke unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This thing which the Lord has commanded, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So we look at this, this is God dealing with promises and vows. And Moses is declaring to them, if somebody makes a vow, they must perform it. And for years under the Christian, Christian way of thinking, if somebody made a promise or a, or a handshake, it was, it was as good as gold because they understood, according to the scriptures, that if you made a promise or vow, you were going to fulfill it or God would deal with you. Not man, but God would deal, for you, deal with you. So this is a very serious situation. If you make a promise to somebody, then you need to fulfill it. And that or don't make promises. And it says, if a woman also vow a vow unto her and bind herself by a bond, having been in her father's house in, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand and every bond wherewith she has bound her soul shall stand. But if the father disallow this is also why the eldest son was given a double portion of the inheritance. Okay, he had one part of the inheritance that he was su supposed to set aside and deal with the fa any family issues that came up. Okay, because he was now, he was made the patriarch of the family. So his brothers kind of fell under his, his direction and he was to keep an eye on them. Okay. And if any of them got into trouble financially, he was to bail them out with the extra portion that he had give, given to him. But he also then had that authority over the young women of the house that, didn't, that weren't there, the father, the husband, could have say over their daughter and say, no, this vow is not going to stand. And it says that God would not bind her to her vow if her head that covered her said no, all right? 
And this is something that's kind of important because we're going to see this at the next level with husbands that can do the same thing. But God holds the vow very seriously. But a husband or a father can, could say, no, this person is under my cover. You're not, they can't bind themselves in this way. And they could protect them. And verse 6, And if she had at all a husband when she vowed or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she has bound her soul, and her husband hear it and hold, held his peace at her in that day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand and her bonds shall be bound, her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallow her on that day that he, that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she had vowed, and that which she uttered of her lips within she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. Okay, so we, again, we're seeing that covering over the woman that says, no, <laughs> that vow is not going to stand. It's not, you can't, you're not going to be able to do that. And we think about this, a vow here is a promise. I will do something. We see this in Judges when this rash vow to yeah. God that he will sacrifice the thirst, yeah. first thing that comes out into the door of his house. <laughs> now he expects it to be his pet dog or a sheep or a goat. And what is the first thing that comes out of his house? His daughter. His daughter. Okay. Okay. And his daughter asks for seven days to prepare herself and, and bemoan her virginity. And basically, instead of sacrificing her as a burnt offering, she is given into the service of the temple and she never leaves the temple again. So, but again, the vow had to be fulfilled. Samuel's mother made a vow that, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you and he will serve you the rest of his days. All she wanted was a child to say, yes, I have not been forgotten of God. And she took Samuel back uh, to the temple and then she had several children thereafter. So God really blessed her. She gave back the first one and he gave her, I can't remember how many, but he gave her other children to replace the one that she gave to him. So we see the vow is important as far as God says the vow is important. And we see this over and over again, vows made. God made a vow with Abraham and God says, I am going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. You're gonna have a great nation. Many, many, you know, 400 years later, we're seeing this. And we see this even in the Roman days, Christians reached out and helped people. They developed orphanages. They would build clinic, health clinics. They would rescue the children that were being thrown into the river because their parents were offering sacrifices or just didn't plain didn't want them. And we see over and over how God has used his people elevate to help to bring this way way of help for people. Women's rights have gone up over the years when Christianity has come into existence. They get respected, they get some rights. They you know maybe not as far rights as they wanted to get, but they get rights. Especially when you compare them to a Buddhist or a Muslim or a, or a Hindu religious place and how little rights women have under those, under those type of environments. And we see Mus the Muslim religion rising up and how badly they treat women. You know, sometimes they buckle under the pressure of the Western world which, with its Christianized ideas, but as soon as they can get back, they, they push the women back down under their thumbs because of the scriptures they have and the teaching they have about women. And so here, God is saying, 
yes, women, I'm going to protect you. you. If you make a vow and your father or your husband hears it and it's a rash vow, they can stop it. But men, you don't have that protection. You, may, you better think twice about what you say and how you say it because God expects it to be fulfilled if, if we make it. And so we see this whole process of the vows. Verse 9, but every vow of a widow and her that is divorced wherewith they have bound their souls shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound her soul by the bound of an oath, and her husband heard it and his, held his peace at her and disallowed her not, then her vow shall stand and every bond wherewith she is bound her soul shall stand. But her, if her husband hath uttered utterly made them void in the day that he heard them, then whatsoever proceeded from her lips, considering her vows and concerning the bond of her soul shall stand, and her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. So here we have another situation, a widower or a uh, divorced woman. If they make a vow, it's going to stand because they don't have that covering. But a widow has no such protection. She stands on her own. She makes a vow. She is going to be stuck with it. And that is something she has to be careful of just as the man has to be careful of. We need to be able to know that our word is important. And in the New Testament we're told that we will be accountable for every idle word we speak. Every time we jest and make fun, God will say, you're going to be accountable for it. It's called looking at our words, thinking twice before we speak. And God says, be careful. You are accountable for what you say. And he will judge if we don't do it, because he says it is going to be important. We are to be honest. We are to keep our word. And if we don't, we have a problem because we're not following God. We're not, and it goes back to the idea of, are we honest? Are we telling the truth? And again, that takes us back to, Deuteron uh, to, to Leviticus where he says that to speak truth as far as God's concerned is to tell what we know, to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth and not hide it by, by omission uh, our world teaches us that you know just you don't have to say all the truth that you know, and, and it's no no problem if you omit facts that you know. God says no, you you are guilty if you admit the truth and you don't speak the whole truth. That or her husband may make it void, but if but if her husband altogether hold his peace at her from day to day, then he establishes all her vows and all her bonds which are are upon her and confirms them because he held his peace at her in that day when he heard it. But if he shall in any ways make them void after that he has heard them, then, they shall, then he shall bear her iniquity. Okay, so basically it's saying he's her covering, he's the protector, and she, is, she has been forgiven of it, being yet in her youth in her father's house. So this is again, he's saying, these are the rules for those and the... And the, and the lines of authority that you're under. Now, he could, have, he could have also included the government and the and the Levites and all of this, but he didn't because it seemed to have been understood in other places. And we're going to end here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you've given us. And Lord, we ask you 
Help us to learn to...